Parshas Emor. Parshas Emor. We're uh, well into the period between Pesach and Shavuos. Very, very special period of time. Uh, it's, the, the weather's getting into more comfortable outdoors. People getting outdoors. People generally are happier. A very exciting time. And um, that uh, physical expression is really true in spiritual as well. A tremendous, uh, very, very uh, opportune time to grow uh, spiritually and come closer to Hashem as we get ready for the holiday of Shavuos, Omer next week. So, Parsha Samar. Torah starts out, says, uh, Hashem said to Moshe, say the following rules over to the Kohanim, the priest. And it's very redundant. It, like, it says the word say to the Kohanim and say to them again. It's all the commentaries discussed. They're like, what's with all this talk about telling, you know, God did this hundreds, maybe thousands of times, told Moshe, I tell you stuff and then tell it to the Jewish people. But here it's like, it's say it again and say it again. So everyone, everyone asked this question. And Rashi famously comments here that it's referring not that is a specific commandment to not only for Moshe to teach this to the priests, but to tell them that they need to teach their children. And this, in fact, is obviously it's logical, but I mean, as, as the, the purpose, of one of the main purposes of the Torah is that we can have an objective reality. We don't have to just figure things out on our own. And yes, while it's intuitive and very logical that we should have to teach our children, but we, we in Judaism, everything is sourced, and this is no different, and this is one of the sources, in fact, the main source, that a person is obligated to teach their children what is appropriate, certainly to train them in the ways of the Torah. So, Rabbi Weinberg, the Rosh Hashiva of Nisrael, very close to my family in Baltimore, he asked, he said, you know what, there's so many mitzvot in the Torah, where the Torah could have said, when, when the Torah was commanded to the Jewish people, for there to be this additional redundancy to teach, to teach the children. Why, of all places, was it a place that is really a command that was to a very small part of the Jewish people? We're talking about to the Kohanim, the priests, which were a percentage of one of the tribes, of one of the, I think, perhaps the smallest tribe. Um, so wouldn't it be making more sense? Do it by Shabbos, do it by kosher, do it by one of the holidays. In fact, later in this Torah portion, it talks about the holidays, do it by the holidays. So the Weinberg said a, a very, very profound uh, explanation. He says, what, think about the Kohanim. You know, the Kohanim, we don't see this so much today, but in the times of the temple, and in certainly in, in the desert, when the, the, uh, the Kohanim, had a very unique existence. They uh, in this and some of these rules even apply today. A person, uh, a Kohen, can't uh, come into contact with dead bodies. That's what it's talking about here. A Kohen could eat only certain things. Kohen could only marry certain people. Kohanim um, were uh, were very, very. They had, in a certain sense, on the surface, very restricted lives. And Rabbi Weinberg explains that. A Cohen child, if he would, if his parents don't do a good job, 
they could walk away with a very negative uh, impression of Judaism. On top of all the do's and don'ts that every Jew has, Kohanim had a bunch more. So the Weinberg points out that the the uh, the, the, the Kohen, the, re, the way any Kohen was able to be successful in transmitting the tradition to their children, they had to give over to the Kohen children how special and unique and privileged they were. And that the extra do's and don'ts were a part of that specialness and privilege, and that enabled them to do that. And therefore, says Weinberg, this is precisely the lesson the Torah is trying to teach us. This is the place for us to learn about how we're supposed to teach the next generation. If we want our children to be excited about and to be, forget excited, to even just do, then we have to give it over, not as just this you know, bucket list of do's and don'ts, but something that is a special privilege, and it's, it's, it's something we would want to do. And I get this question all the time, you know, as I meet many people, and people are, people are, are struggling with how are they going to keep their children, the next generation, excited about Judaism. And I said the number one way is you'd be excited about Judaism. You'll be excited about Judaism, and that is the number one. I want to say foolproof, but that uh, is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty positive um, way. Okay, um, so move, moving along over here. So there's a famous medrash at the beginning of this parsha, and it says that God, you know, um, um, had a incredible vision that He allowed Moshe to have, and basically He showed him all of history, all of history. He saw him, the leaders and the bad things and the good things. And, and Moshe had questions. And one of the questions that he had was he saw the famous King Shoal, first king of the Jewish people, King Saul. And it showed King Saul, after two years of being king, being murdered. And he um, and he uh, asked God, "What's going on over here?" And God uh, refers to this week's Torah portion. He says, "You know, there's a story where this king. I, obviously, it was a complicated story, but you know, to some degree, he was held accountable for the um, the execution of many, many priests." And it's a very intriguing vision. And what some of the commentaries say is that what's why we why is the measure sharing this with us? What's it showing us? And the, the main message that it's coming to show us is that often we there's a tendency, and I don't, I don't think today is any different, that when we see a leader, we see a, le a world leader, a local leader, and, and all different different levels of leaders. But it's a it's a very popular thing to do, and I'm, I'm you know we all are, I think are we do this some, from time to time, is we are we sometimes we we like to blame leaders, and what God is saying is that you know what there's a general concept, the leaders not that not to take away blame from leaders, but leaders are a reflection of their constituency. And this applies to very bad leaders and even applies to great leaders. In other words, one would say, as wonderful as our leaders are today, or wonderful Jewish leaders, they are, the leaders themselves will tell you, they're not, they're, they, they don't touch the great leaders we've had in the past. 
you know, uh, going back to Rashi and the Rambam and the times of the prophets. And we're told that every generation gets a leader that is appropriate for them. And it's very hard to do, but if we understand that when we see systematic problems and problems that we don't like with leadership, the proper and, and almost the only productive thing to do is to look here, to look at ourselves and say, huh, if this is a reflection of us, what, what can we be doing differently that would, um, and this is obviously a good way, whenever you're in a, in a situation, usually the only thing you can control is what you do. You can say, what can I do here? Or how, how am I at fault? Not in a guilty way, but in a very pragmatic way. So another piece on this story. So the famous piece in the prophets where King Saul was commanded to, it was a very not good group of criminals, um, Amalek, and he was commanded to execute everyone there. And he let the, um, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Long story short. And that really was the reason that we understand that he was, um, he was, he ultimately lost becoming king. So the question everyone asks is, if that's the reason, then why does the Medrash say the reason is because of the story with the Kohanim? And this is really, really cool. Because really, when when the, the prophet Samuel, Shmuel, came to King Saul, he says, why didn't you listen to God? God said these were bad these are people who were causing trouble. They needed to be executed. Why didn't you listen? And what did King Saul say? He said, I had mercy. You're right. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Says Hashem. Okay. That, that, that could have been a valid excuse. But, you know, remember there was that other story with the uh, city of the priests? And there you had no problem exercising uh, your power to execute. And you weren't merciful then. And this is a very profound uh, lesson for ourselves. A lot of times we're quick to give an excuse for something or to blame someone else. But then, and, and sometimes it could be a good blame. It could be a legitimate excuse. But then when we, if we look to see if we really are true to that in our lives, you know, let's say someone says, you know what? And someone asked me, you know, can... um. You know, can you help out a certain person? And you'd be like, you know, I'm really, 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 really busy. And then what do you see the person doing? I'm not saying this has to be the case, but let's just say you see the guy that night just watching the, the playoffs, the whole game. Now, it could be a good excuse, could be not, but, oh, right? So that's something that Hashem is teaching us. we got to make sure as much as we can that we're really being true, true to ourselves, and then we could be true to God. Um, more about this, this double redundancy, overly commanding. Hashem is telling the Jewish people to, to, to make sure they teach their kids. Well, the question some people say is, it doesn't say that anywhere in the verse. You know, there's, yes, we do extrapolate things in the verses, but there's a certain amount that we, you know, it's important that the, the, the Torah speak things out. If it meant to say it, say it. So, I think I heard this from my friends, saw this from my friends, that, you know what, there's a reason why the Torah doesn't say, act proactively to tell your children. Because we know that the greatest way to impact someone is not by telling them what to do. 
It's by how we act. I think you know, 90% of what your person is going to be able to impact on someone else is just by who they are. You, 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 we, where does it go? Uh, do as I uh, do as I say, not as I do, doesn't work. Do as I do, not as I say, does work. Um, and that's what the Torah is teaching us. Don't, don't get hung up on telling them and teaching them and make sure you say, it. okay, there are things you have to say. There are ways to teach. Teaching is important. But the, the, the lion's share of what is going to be in, in, imparted, it needs to be through uh, how, who, who we are. Moving along, the Torah here talks about the famous mitzvah, Perich of Beis, Pasuk. Um, before we go on to that, there's one more thing on this commandment. So the commandment we're talking here at the beginning of the parsha is a special idea that Kohanim, given their very high level, and not something we really can understand, but they can't come into contact with with dead bodies. And there are exceptions, but as a rule, that, that's the way it works. Um, so it's a little tr- hard because sometimes it could be a, a close family member, it could be a close friend. And, you know, especially Kohanim were descended from Arun Akoin. Arun Akoin was the person who loved everyone, peace, and just, just took care of everybody. So, um, like, well, how does this fit? How are the how are the Kohanim going to be able to do their uh, their special mission of being so kind to everybody? And the truth is that we find this amazing. Sometimes you have limitations, and sometimes the limitations need to be there. And a person could say, you know what, nothing I could do. But sometimes what a person can do when there are limitations, if they really care, it could force them to be more creative and they be even more helpful. Because what can the Kohen do? After the body is buried, the Kohen can go and pay a shiva call. And paying a shiva call, being showing empathy to the family and friends is so amazing. And someone may say, oh, you know, what's the big deal? Just empathy. Everyone knows. Empathy is, is just being empathetic to someone. It takes away the pain. It shares the pain. It's just an incredible thing. That's something we have to learn. We shouldn't underestimate. It's not like God took away completely um, the Kohanim's ability to do this kindness. It's uh, perhaps a different way. Maybe it forces them to be even more focused on this incredible uh, mitzvah. So, time for a couple more ideas. It says in chapter 22, verse 32, that... Um, do not profane God's name. You should make God's name holy amongst the Jewish people. And this is the famous mitzvah to make a kiddush Hashem. All kids that go to Jewish schools know you go on a trip. Everyone says, make a kiddush Hashem. Make God's name look good. Certainly don't make a chol Hashem. Don't make God's name not look good. Which means the Jewish people represent God in this world. And um, we, we're, we're our whole our whole life, really, all the mitzvahs, everything, everything is about um, uh, sanctifying God and, and and making God look good because He is good. 
And the Rambam, Maimonides here, famously talks about the special responsibility that a Talmud Chacham, a rabbi, someone who truly represents God uh, in this world, uh, the responsibility we have that when people see them, they say, wow, wow, this is a person who, who's, who's on a high level. And they have to even, the Rambam talks about, maybe gives details of ways they have to act um, even, uh, even, um, an even greater way than, you know, would be necessarily commanded in, in the Torah to be beyond reproach. And the truth is Rabbi Gibber, my teacher, uh, of many years, he used to start off every year in a rabbinical college. I'm sure he still does it saying that, you know what? It doesn't matter if you're not a rabbi, if people think that you're a rabbi, or they think that you're someone who really represents Judaism, it doesn't matter if you're not. But if that's what people think, for whatever reason, then you have that responsibility. You should tell all of us, 17 and 18-year-olds, that since we were in a rabbinical college and we were far, far from being rabbis at that point, um, but we represented um, the Torah. And uh, I believe, and I think Rabbi Gibber had said by extension that really any... Really, today used to be, you know, you know, uh, you know, uh, all most Jews were were particularly connected, but today, really, any Jew that's significantly involved in their Judaism really represents the Torah, man and man and woman. Um, I think a lot of times when people meet a religious Jew, say, oh, oh, you're a rabbi, and we know if you go in the religious circles, you see, no, there's usually one rabbi around. So that's something we have to all keep in mind. To whatever degree uh, where we're connected to Judaism and, and we and we do, we, we we all we all represent, we all are on this on putting God on display here. We have responsibility. Uh, okay. There's a famous mitzvah in this week's parsha of Peah. Peah is a mitzvah really not so common in most places today, but it was when in agricultural society it was very popular, very very common. When you, you had a field of, 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 of a grain field, whatever it was, so the corner of the field you had to leave for poor people to come, and poor people knew that's how they would come and get their food. So the Torah says specifically that you can't stand there and give the food to the poor people. You have to allow them just to come and take it themselves. And a lot of reasons for that. But one idea here is the idea of you're saving them face. Yeah, you want to be, you, you might feel good. You're giving out, you know, you're the, the rich man giving it out. But, you know, they would really prefer just to come and take their stuff and leave. And we learn from here, uh, the Bali Muster say, those who help us work on our character traits, that whenever you're in the giving position, you're being a host, whatever it might be, be mindful of how the people on the receiving end are feeling because you, you have something good you want to do and you should do it. But you got to realize when people take from other people, um, you know, sometimes they could be uncomfortable and you want to try to minimize that as much as possible, not to be too forceful, not to make them uncomfortable. And that's a responsibility that people have, which, uh, you know, I could tell you, I, so I have to think about a lot. I'm involved in a lot of community activities, and they're, I'm involved with people often who need help. And sometimes, uh, you know, you may not give them the respect they need. You have to be, be very careful 
to even as we're helping people to not like give ourselves that pat on the back and the luxury of just doing whatever we want because the person is quote unquote taking. Cruise through one or two more ideas and I got to wrap up. So um, this is the famous that uh, I think teachers and parents uh, like uh, like this and people who aren't in positions of authority probably don't like this. But in chapter 24 of verse 18, it says, talks about different activities a person does that they are responsible for their actions. It says, if a person hits another person's animal, he's got to pay. And it discusses all types of damages and things that a person could do that they're responsible for. And this is just a basic tenet of the Torah that a human being is a muad, which means a person is a hundred percent responsible if they damage someone else if they damage them physically they damage them emotionally in the times of the torah of when when we had a jewish run society with jewish law people had to pay if you embarrass someone you have to pay them if you hurt them you have to pay them it was a real real responsibility and this is a very good thing for people to feel to feel when a person feels responsible they feel dignified and they act and they act apart. One last idea. This week's Torah portion talks the famous idea of, of what we know about of, of, on the day before Yom Kippur, we, there's a special mitzvah to eat. And we learn that mitzvah because it says to fast on the ninth day of Tishrei. Now everybody knows Yom Kippur is on the tenth day of Tishrei. So why does the Torah tell us that you should fast on the ninth? And famously, the Talmud of Bracha says on page 8, says that if a person prepares for fasting by eating so he can eat, so he can get ready for the fast, that is, it's as if he fasted for two days because the food was there to help him do something. And this is, is such a basic Jewish concept. Judaism says anything can be sanctified. Judaism is not about separating, you know, separate the good from the bad. No, 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 no. We take this world, this physical world, and we raise it. Marriage is a holy thing. Food is a holy thing. Wine's a holy thing. There's, you know, you can play basketball. And it could be a wonderful thing. We say take, take this world as it is. And embrace it and elevate it. And that is a very, very uh, freeing concept. Judaism is not about not doing things. It's about taking things and doing them the right way. In a way that ultimately will be the most enjoyable. Besides being most enjoyable, will be very meaningful. So a quick review. We talked about why is the Torah telling us over and over again that the telling Moshe, telling the Kohanim, this is what you have to do. And the overall message was that you got to eat, A, you got to trans transmit this to the next generation. And how are you going to do it? Number one, you're going to model it. You don't model it. You don't look excited. You're not into it. Next generation is not going to do it. And secondly, the number one way is through, in fact, modeling. What you say is nowhere near as important as what you do. We learned about when a person has a tendency to blame leadership 
Well, it doesn't mean we're not trying to exempt leadership from any responsibility, but we do need to look inward because leaders tend to be a reflection of their constituency. And that is something which we can't overlook. Another thing we learn is that a person often can give excuses, which could be legit excuses. But then you got to see in another situation where you wanted things to run differently, you didn't give that excuse. So if you say you don't have time, maybe you don't have time. Um, I heard once a suggestion, if someone's busy, if they call their spouse and they say, you know what, I'm really busy. I didn't have time, but I wanted to call you just to say hello. So that's a great thing to do. It makes the person feel loved. But it has to be, said the rabbi on this talk, that you are really busy, and that's why you're talking that way. Um, same thing with kids. We talked about the famous Maimonides, how a person who people look at you when they see you're Jewish and they connect you with God, that means you represent God. you got to act the part. We learned about how when you're giving don't think that gives you a license to just make the person who's receiving feel like uh, very needy. And as much as possible, you want to make people, even when you're giving to them, even when they need it, to respect their dignity. We learned about how we're responsible. Just plain and simple of that. Whatever you do or don't do, you are responsible. And lastly, we learned about the idea that anything physical, in fact, the more physical it is, the greater potential marriages are the holiest thing. Food could be holy. Wine is holy. All these things. But it's not about pushing things away. It's about taking them and elevating them and doing great things with them. So I do have to run. But have a wonderful Shabbos. And to uh, see next week is like Omer Thursday night. So I don't know what's going to be. Um, but everyone should have a great Shabbos. And thanks for coming on.